Hello and welcome to another episode of Addiction Audio, the podcast from the journal Addiction. Uh, today I'm joined by two authors. I'm joined by Marlene Olthoff and Dr. Matthias Blankers, uh, both from the Trimbos Institute, the Institute of Mental Health and Addiction in Utrecht in the Netherlands. Um, hello, Matthias and Marlene. Hello. Hello. So uh, Matthias and Marlene are, are here today to talk about their article recently published in Addiction titled A Guided Digital Intervention to Reduce Cannabis Use, the ICANN Randomised Control Trial. Um, so I, I find this area really interesting. The area of digital health is obviously uh, kind of uh, an exciting area of innovation in research. Um, before we kind of look at the actual intervention and what you studied, uh, why does this area particularly interest you, the area of digital health interventions and particularly in relation to cannabis? Well, I think uh, digital interventions have a lot of benefits over uh, face-to-face interventions. But I think the most important benefit is that they are very easily accessible. So we know that there is a large uh, treatment gap when it comes to cannabis use disorder. So uh, that means that that most people with cannabis use disorder, they uh, they do not seek treatment. Um, And they can have a variety of reasons for not seeking treatment. Uh, For example, because they think that treatment is not necessary or they prefer uh, to do it on their own or uh, with the help from friends or family or uh, they're not aware of the of the different treatment options available. And I think especially for those people, uh, digital intervention can be a, a great solution because it's a much smaller step to sign up for a digital intervention than to enter uh, treatment. Um, and then you can use that intervention to tell people about all the different uh, treatment options available and about the potential benefits of, of entering those treatments. This was one of the kind of key features of, of, of ICAM, wasn't it? That it, it, it advised people to seek further help, which I thought was, was really quite nice. It wasn't, you know, the, a lot of the internet is quite grabby. It tries to keep people on your platform. You were quite keen that people got help who, who needed to. Um, and, and can you explain a bit about ICANN specifically as, a, as your app? So the, the app starts with some uh, brief self-tests in which the participants can learn what kind of cannabis user they are and how risky their use is. And then next, uh, they can create a personalized plan to reduce or quit uh, their cannabis use step-by-step step with the help of exercises. Um, and then they are encouraged to stick to that plan for at least four weeks. And they can uh, track their progress by uh, registering their cannabis use on a daily basis. Uh, And then last, the app also provides extensive information about uh, help for cannabis use uh, disorder. And uh, yeah, so that's basically what what the app looks like. Um, And you you said in the paper that, that this was kind of based on principles of motivational interviewing and I think CBT. Um, what was it like translating these kind of therapeutic approaches that, you know, they originated in face-to-face therapies? What was it like translating those to a kind of digital app? Well, I think the biggest difference is that there's only minimal guidance. So the, the lack of a therapist, I think that's the, the biggest challenge uh, because the approaches and the, the exercises, they remain pretty much the same. Um, but in, in face-to-face treatment with, with a therapist, uh, the therapist can can really assist the client in doing the exercises, uh, and in digital interventions like in in ICANN, uh, the client has to do the exercises on his own. 
so for example, a typical exercise in motivational interviewing is the decisional balance exercise, where you ask the client to, uh, to make a list of the, of the pros and the cons of continuing their cannabis use, and also the pros and cons of, of changing the behavior, so uh, reducing or quitting the cannabis use. Uh, and a therapist can really help a client by asking uh, questions and uh, talking about it and really exploring those uh, pros and cons together, um, as it can be quite difficult to, to just list them because people may not be aware of them. Um, so it's really about adapting those exercises so that they also work in a, in a digital app um, where people have, have no or limited guidance. So that means uh, providing clear instructions, uh, giving examples, uh, trying to make it as, as user-friendly as possible. Um, but it also means trying to keep people motivated and engaged, uh, for example, by adding some uh, gamification elements. So for example, in the Icon app, people can earn a batch if they uh, complete a certain step. I've spoken to uh, a few researchers who've developed apps and, and, and everyone says that it, it's it's more difficult than it looks, but can be quite enjoyable. What's what's it like as a researcher developing an, an app? Um, I think it's a challenge because uh, one of the benefits of digital intervention is that they are uh, are very easily accessible. So it's very easy to start using a digital intervention. However, it's just as easy to to stop using it. So it's a challenge to to. Uh, keep people involved and, and engaged in your app. So our aim was really to create an app that appealed to our target audience, uh, which were frequent cannabis users in the, in the age of uh, 18 to 35 years. Uh, so we, we conducted several focus groups with that target audience uh, to help inform the, the development of the app. Uh, and we actually did that twice. So the first time what was at the beginning of the project, uh, when we only had some, some basic ideas and there were still many possibilities. Uh, and the second time was when we had this prototype of the app and we asked them to provide feedback on that prototype. Um, and that was a really fun experience. And I thought that was really helpful. And it's something I can really recommend to researchers who are uh, doing this kind of uh, uh, intervention development because that really uh, really helped. Um, so, for example, some preferences that we gathered during those focus groups uh, was, for example, that the participants really wanted the app to be discreet. So the um, the icon or the logo you have on your mobile phone, uh, they told us that that shouldn't contain any cannabis related content. So that if someone would uh, look on their phone that they wouldn't know that they were using this app to, uh, to reduce uh, their use. Um, and they also indicated that they preferred information to be delivered in uh, short animation videos so that it would be really easy for them to take in and to understand uh, the information. So we included those videos in the, uh, in the app. Um, and they also said that they wanted the content to be cheerful and positive because they said, yeah, we know that smoking cannabis is bad for you. Like, you don't have to tell us that. We know that. But instead, try to motivate us in a, in a positive way uh, to change that behavior. So really uh, emphasize on all the benefits, all the gains we can get from, uh, from reducing that use. Um, 
And the last thing, they also really emphasized on the importance of peer support. So therefore we decided to uh, include a message board where people can exchange messages and support each other uh, in the ICANN app. So, so to test uh, the, the ICANN app, you, you ran a, a randomized control trial. Uh, and in order to do so, you obviously have to have a control condition. Can you tell us a little bit about that before we kind of um, go further into the methods? Yeah, our control condition was basically, um, uh, I would say, a plain information uh, website containing more general tips about uh, suggestions about uh, the risk of cannabis use in general and and, uh, and suggestions how to uh, change use or reduce use or quit uh, use. So it's, I would say it's 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 fairly comparable to the the general information you would find on a cannabis health um, and cannabis uh, behavior change uh, websites. Well, you would find in, in in many countries in many languages. So, so the people in the control condition were kind of directed towards their. They didn't have to kind of go back there on a regular basis or anything. No, the the, the control condition was based on four, uh, basically four four sessions, four parts. So the idea was them to uh, to return to the website uh, for four times to read uh, new parts and new sections of the of the control condition um, uh, information. Uh, well, and obviously the the icon condition was bit more extensive in the way that they could enter the intervention multiple times and monitor their behavior and work on their change plan. So the idea for them was to um, um, be involved in the ICANN intervention more intensively and they would also receive messages for the, the guidance while they work with the ICANN intervention. So, so on, on the methods, this was a, a single randomized control trial. Um, uh, in, in, I'm just interested in, in, in whether it's possible, because some things it's, it's possible to blind and some things it isn't. Is this one of those situations where a double blind controlled trial isn't possible? Well, um, actually, I think uh, in this project, we, we uh, at least we attempted to blind the participants to the condition they were in. Uh, and, and often cases in, in psychological treatment trials, that's that's relatively complex to do, especially when it's, for example, a waiting list control trial, it's well, people will know whether they're on a waiting list or whether they're receiving the, the actual intervention. And here, because we didn't say much beforehand on what the digital intervention would look and feel like, we at least try to uh, have participants the impression whether they were in the in the active ICANN condition or in the control condition, that they were receiving the sort of the actual intervention. So that part we attempted to blind, what we did not blind, and it was morely uh, for reasons of uh, organizational nature, is that we didn't blind on the researcher sites uh, in which conditions the participants were. And this was mainly due to the fact that, that Marlene, the PhD student on the projects, was both involved in, 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 in guidance of the, the participants through the ICANN intervention and the supervision of the, the data collection. So because she had contact in the ICANN condition with the participants, she more or less knew, or at least could know, know from some of them who they were. So we cannot, it, it was partly blinded because the idea was for participants to uh, to um, to self-report their, their outcome on, on cannabis and other uh, outcomes, but we cannot guarantee it was completely blinded. So hence we, we, um, uh, we named it a single blinded trial. So it was blinded on the patient side, participant side, but not as much on our side. You recruited people from social media, from was it Facebook and, and Instagram? Can you can you uh, talk us a little bit through that? Because as as a method of recruitment, that's becoming more and more popular. Yeah, and it's it's something we 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 work with 
quite a lot, I would say, at, at Trimus Institute for this project and also for, for other projects. And uh, in this project, we uh, did the, the use of the recruitment through social media uh, by ourselves in collaboration, collaboration with our um, communi communication department. And uh, they have access to the sort of the ads back end of, of the Facebook um, and uh, Facebook audience platform. And there they can create ads and tailor them to specific target populations and they will receive the 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 the, the advertisements on their on their feed while they're using uh facebook or uh, software uh, programs in the facebook audience or for example instagram uh, so that we 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 found out that works rather well so for some projects we do this through our own communication department we also sometimes work with um uh, with uh, other organizations like a marketing organization we tend to do this work um, uh, for us, but for the project of uh, of Marlene on, on ICANN, we uh, we did this uh, campaign by ourselves. Are there any uh, kind of um, limitations to recruiting via social media? I mean, are there any kind of parts of the population that you you struggle to reach? Yes, well, of course, in, 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 uh, of course, not everyone is as active on social media as, as others. And I think for the population we uh, we attempted to uh, attract for this uh, intervention, um, uh, the problems was not as much because we were looking for people who were working with digital interventions and were active on social media. Well, a lot of young people are active on social media. So we think we had quite a good reach for our audience. Uh, but for example, well, for some other project, we found out, for example, working on project focused on on elderly or on uh, let's say more uh, offline non-digital interventions, it it can be much harder to reach those people digitally. So it's it's not sort of the solution for any recruitment um, a challenge. But for this project, we found out it it worked uh, rather well, and we have this experience with with, uh, with quite a number of other um, uh, um, research projects uh, as well. So it it seems to be at least for specific applications of promising a, a platform to uh, to recruit the participants um and you um you pre-registered your trial so you, you went through open science principles is this something that, that as a team you're you're committed to or was this something specific for this project no it's it's really something we we think is is, is very important and uh we also uh, have worked with in the past and i would say it's getting more and more attention now to pre-register basically well, almost any form of uh, of, of of research people um, pursue, uh, I would say in the clinical trial um, uh, area, it, it has been more common for a longer period to pre-register -re -re -pre your uh, protocol to make your primary outcomes and, and secondary outcomes um, uh, available and 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 explicit before um, starting and completing the the trial. So it's something we have worked with uh, already quite a lot in the past. Uh, and nowadays, we also tend to do this for, for example, for, for prognostic modeling projects and maybe also sometimes for, for qualitative research. So it's something Thermos Institute is, is, likes to contribute to and think it's, it's really important in randomized trials, but also in other research projects. And that process of registration, did, did that kind of develop this particular study in, in any ways? Yes, well, it, 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 it forces you really to be very explicit beforehand what you uh, expect on which outcomes and when what outcome you think is is most important and what are let's say a couple of outcomes which you think are of, of secondary importance and uh, so it, it really um, forces you to uh, think about all of those things on beforehand 
and uh, well, obviously, it also precludes from from uh, afterwards uh, sort of valuing up um, uh, secondary findings. So it, it it sort of gives direction already to your outcome paper before you actually started recruiting participants. So it's it it it, it nudges you towards really forward uh, thinking, uh, but that makes it also more transparent what you're actually doing and what is actually the, the purpose of your study. So we uh, yeah yeah you you can't just at the last minute switch your secondary findings to primary because. Because they came out better. That'll be that'll be visible to anyone. So then you well you have a difficult case. Uh, I would say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, deviation from protocols are always. I mean, it's 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 human work. So there can also be some deviation. But the nice thing here about this is that you have the protocol, and you have in this case an outcome paper. And if there would be any deviations, you can tell this in the paper, and it's completely transparent to anyone what's been the process between sort of uh, initiating the trial, uh, executing the trial, and and reporting. That's fa- it's fantastic, and and the more people that do it, um, the absolute better. Um, before we get onto your uh, actual results, um, I feel like we've teased people enough with with talking about the study without knowing what you found yet. Um, but you talked about the uh, intention to treat principle um, as part of your methodology. Can you just explain um, what what that entails? Uh, yes, it 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 means that uh, any participant who um, we intend to provide, uh, in this case, the ICANN intervention or the control condition, will be maintained in the analysis for the duration of the trial. So uh, even if participants, for example, are uh, after randomization assigned to the ICANN intervention and would not have any uh, uptake of the intervention or were assigned to the control condition and will not participate in the control conditions, they're still sort of in the analysis as if they participated in this uh, in this condition, and hence you basically see the results of what it's what you reach once you offer this intervention to your participants, uh, and, and hence it gives a, a lot of external validity to to the findings because you well you you basically see what you get if you have such interventions available. Uh, in this study, we also did a secondary analysis to see what happened to those participants who were actually uh, in certain uh, amount active in the ICANN intervention to see whether this leads, for example, to more pronounced effects or to similar effects. So uh, the idea is intention to treat, uh, uh, those are in the analysis. And I, it's so important um, with digital interventions where retention is such a key issue that, 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 that you take that approach. Um, so, so let's let's talk about your findings. Um, so, you uh, had a, a set of key primary and secondary outcomes that you looked at after six weeks, three months, and six months. Uh, can you tell us what you found? Well, our primary outcome measure uh, was the number of cannabis use days in the seven days prior to the six-month follow-up measurement. And for this outcome, and for most uh, other cannabis use-related outcomes. Uh, we saw significant reductions or improvements um, in both groups over time, uh, but we did not see differential effects between the groups. After three months, we did see that the reduction in uh, the quantity of cannabis used, so that the grams of cannabis used, was uh, reduced stronger in the ICAN condition compared to the control condition. Um, and after six months, those reductions were maintained. However, the differential effect was no longer significant. Um, we did see that participants in the ICANN group were more satisfied with the intervention compared to the participants in the control condition. Um, 
And uh, lastly, we did not see any effects of uh, ICANN or control on the attitudes towards uh, seeking professional help for cannabis use and related problems. I mean, obviously, uh, as, as researchers, results are results and it's all science and it's all wonderful. But um, uh, were you slightly kind of scratching your head a bit uh, at, at the lack of difference between the conditions? Uh, well, yeah, of course, I was a little bit disappointed to see the results. On the other side, the COVID-19 pandemic occurred uh, during the data collection. And a number of studies were published that showed that frequent cannabis users uh, overall were using more cannabis. So um, I was also kind of relieved to see that overall the participants in our study were able uh, to reduce their use. So in that sense, it could have been a lot worse. Um, but of course, we spend a lot of time and energy in developing the ICANN intervention. And yes, then you hope that it works a lot better than the control condition. Um, but I was happy that they were more satisfied with the, uh, with the intervention. Um, and we also know that these kind of interventions usually uh, have small effects. So it was also not a complete surprise. Yeah. Um, and I, I think half the battle with apps is is getting people to enjoy using them. If you can do that, you can you can deliver future interventions, can't you? So yes, there was the um, there was the MHSAS score um, that related to attitudes towards treatment. No, yeah, of course we expected the attitudes to improve. So I, at first I was a bit surprised to see that the scores remained like virtually unchanged during the the study period. Uh, because the app provides extensive information on, on seeking help for uh, cannabis use uh, related problems. And this was also something that uh, we discovered during the focus groups that a lot of the, of the cannabis users, they knew very little about seeking help for cannabis use problems. Um, so when they think about treatment, although the participants in, in, the, in the focus groups um, they often think about, about rehab like they see on TV. So really uh, inpatient treatment, uh, which for them feels like a huge step and uh, can be yeah, quite intimidating. Um, and they do not know that there are actually many different options. Uh, so also like outpatient treatment where you go to this therapist maybe once or twice a week or even uh, blended or completely uh, digital treatments where you can stay at home completely. Um, and I can provide a lot of information about all these different types of treatment uh, and what, what they can expect to make it less intimidating. Uh, so my expectation was that it would help to improve their attitudes towards seeking treatment. Um, but on the other hand, overall, the participants were able to successfully reduce their use. So maybe because of that, uh, yeah, if you can do it on your own, why seeking help? So maybe that is uh, an explanation for why those scores, uh, yeah, remained unchanged. Um, that's really interesting. So uh, you, you talk about, um, so there are quite a lot of implications from this. Obviously, there's there are issues around kind of optimization and um uh, you know and you start with something that you you can then improve but you also talk in your discussion about um the opportunities of of personalization uh, rather than kind of having this blanket does this work for a population b 
being able to identify the people for whom it works best or, or for whom it doesn't. Um, and kind of coming back to what you were saying, uh, Matthias, about the people who were retained, you know, who kept using it, like what's different about that population? W- was that something that you were able to kind of identify in this study or is this something that you're, you're looking at for the future? Well, I think it's something we want to uh, uh, to look at for the future. So uh, we're now having two ideas. We're working on two uh, different papers. Uh, so we are actually currently working on a paper in which we use the, the baseline uh, characteristics. Uh, so, for example, the cannabis use variables, the social demographics, the health-related variables. So a large uh, variety of baseline characteristics uh, with machine learning models uh, to predict uh, successful reductions in cannabis use. Um, and for that study, we took the data of both the icon condition and the control condition together. So then you're basically looking at what predicts if someone that, uh, or what predicts um, if someone who has the intention to reduce or quit his cannabis use uh, succeeds. So that's that's one thing that we're uh, working on. Um, but we also collected a lot of, lot of uh, log data in the ICON intervention. So all the, all the clicks, all the uh, actions, all the, basically everything is, uh, is we collected. Um, and we are planning on uh, writing a paper on that as well. Uh, so we would like to conduct a latent class analysis to see if we can identify uh, different types of users. So for example, maybe you have uh, this subgroup of users uh, will use the app only very briefly and then drop out uh, and never log in again. And maybe you have this uh, group of users who are very dedicated and who make all the exercises and who continue to use the, uh, the app very well. Um, so we would like to explore if we can identify these different uh, types of users or subgroups um, and then see if uh, there are associated with uh, certain participants' characteristics. So, for example, maybe uh, men are more likely to drop out soon, or maybe women are more likely to drop out soon, uh, etc. Yeah, so that's uh, something we uh, we are interested in. Sounds uh, the the idea of, of of finding your way through all of the kind of how who clicked where and what and how often and, and when. The idea of making sense out of that, I, I have such admiration for the for the work that that that, that will take. Um, and uh, I guess final question, just on on this, is, is what would what advice would you give to people studying in a similar area, looking at the effectiveness of digital interventions? Oh, that's a good question. Well, like I mentioned before, I think it's really important to really uh, find out what the needs and preferences are of the people who are actually going to use the uh, the intervention or the app because I think that's really the biggest challenge. How do you keep those people engaged? Like that adherence, that's, uh, yeah. So maybe looking at guidance and uh, how you can really use guidance to get bigger effects or to get better adherence. In the ICON intervention, we uh, introduced, a, a, I would say, a, a, a bit of guidance, which was more process-oriented and not so much really therapy oriented in, in, in general, we tend to see with digital intervention that the more and the more intensive and the more um, precise uh, guidance is provided uh, while people work with digital interventions, the, the better the effects are. 
So that would really be something to to think about for in the future. I mean, we're thinking about it for maybe future iterations of the Icon Intervention to see how we can further elaborate this guidance aspect. So that would also be a point of advice to someone working on developing a new um, digital intervention to, to see how you can involve guidance uh, uh, for people who work with these interventions because that tends to lead to, uh, to the best clinical results. Um, yeah, and in terms of research, I think... Um, um, focusing on maintaining people in your trial is is, is key, and um, uh, I think in this this project we we saw that maintaining a, around 70, 75, 80 percent of people in the trial is is achievable, and this is really also I think the numbers you I would say at least would like to have to be rather certain about the results you um, you present to uh, make sure that a dropout and missing data is not potentially affecting your results in, in a way that it it, it would um, make the results less reliable. Um, so making sure that you keep good contact with your um, uh, study participants and to make sure that you can remind them to participate in, in, in the outcome measurements and also think about how you reward them for their, their input and their time. That that would be, I would say, more on the methodological and in design side things to, uh, to think about. Yeah, I mean, 70% is, is an impressive retention rate uh, for considering the the population, the app, and COVID and the pandemic, yeah, it's impressive. So that's it. I, overall, this is just it's such a fast it's a fascinating area of research and such a difficult area to research. It's like I say, with, with kind of medication, you can get things very very specific and focused, but with with digital interventions, therapeutic interventions, they're so. Um, kind of amorphous and, and kind of busy. Uh, they're kind of messy interventions to, to either control or to look at, but so important because obviously apps and, and the digital world is is absolutely everywhere and it's full of potential. Um, so some some fascinating results there. Thank you both uh, for coming to coming on the podcast to talk to me about them. And uh, yeah, thank you both for your time. Thank you for the for, for the opportunity to talk a bit about our work and um, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Yes, thank you.